From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the broadcast, and once again, welcome to KGBRFM, Medford, Oregon, our new affiliate out there in the Oregon is, a, I believe, the Beaver State, a wonderful state. I've been out there several times. I remember driving through Grants Pass. We were, we were producing the second season of our television show, and very mountainous, beautiful, rugged country, and we had to stop for the night because I had to do the TV show, and we needed to get into a hotel uh, desperately, you know, that had reliable internet so I could do the show by Skype. And uh, I don't know if you, you may remember this night, the cameraman, the uh, the director, my good friend uh, Jalal Murai, and also uh, a cameraman, and we were only going to stay in the hotel just for a few hours so I could do my show, grab a couple of hours sleep, and then get back on the road and race down to L.A. We had to catch a flight. We had been up in uh, Olympia, Washington, it was for a, an episode we did on time travel. So we're in this hotel in Grants Pass, and I'm doing my radio show. But the cameraman and, uh, and Jalal are asleep, dog-tired. You know, they've been driving all day. And the cameraman starts to snore. And Tim, you weren't working uh, with me then. Uh, I forget who the producer was. But people started calling in asking, what is that sound? <laughs> and I was trying to cover the microphone and speak into it. All three of us in one room, and the snoring was incredible. And I don't know if you've, if you've heard that show. Maybe, maybe you heard it on a podcast or what have you. But uh, I just remember the, uh, my producer all in a panic because people were emailing and calling saying, what is that sound? Is, has someone fallen asleep on the air? They thought my producer had fallen asleep on the air. Anyway, that's my Oregon story. <laughs> Again, welcome to KGBR-FM in Medford, Oregon. And meanwhile... We have, of course, nothing seems to uh, change. Summers come and go, and uh, wars come and go, and it looks like the U.S. is gearing up for another one as they consider a response to what it calls a chemical weapon attack by Syria's Bashar al-Assad regime uh, that killed hundreds of civilians. And reliable Middle Eastern sources say they have evidence, however, that the culprits actually were the rebel forces trying to take over the government. That's right. You're not hearing about that in the mainstream media. Secretary of State John Kerry is telling everybody that'll listen that the uh, the use of chemical weapons by the Assad regime is a cowardly crime, a moral obscenity that shocked the world's conscience. He claims the Obama administration has undeniable evidence that the Assad government was culpable in the use of chemical weapons on civilians back in October or August uh, 21st in a, in the Damascus suburbs, which. Uh, were sort of being controlled by the rebels, and uh, reports that the Obama administration is considering a military strike against the Assad government continues to circulate. However, Obama has now promised that he's going to at least take this to Congress for a vote, so we shall see what is in store. But again, let's talk about the evidence we're not hearing about, that it is not the Assad regime responsible for these chemical attacks, but in fact, the rebels or... I think a more apt description is insurgents. To help us in this regard, a good friend of the program, it's been a while since we chatted, Webster Tarpley is an historian, a critic of American foreign policy, best known for his book, George Bush, The Unauthorized Biography, 1992 that came out. Tarpley was born in Pittsfield, Massachusetts in 1946. In 1966, he graduated summa cum laude from Princeton University, where he was elected to Phi Beta Kappa. He was a Fulbright Scholar at the University of Turin, Italy, later teaching English at Cornell University. 
1970-1980, he appeared as a commentator for Teleradio Soleil, a television station in Rome. And from 1984 to 1996, he was a correspondent in Washington. In 1997, he published an anthology entitled Against Oligarchy, Essays and Speeches, from 1970 to 1996. These books can be consulted on the internet at His 9-11 Synthetic Terror is considered the Bible of the 9-11 Truth Movement. He sold it, and it sold over 20,000 copies. His two books on Obama are virtually the only critical ones in print from a progressive viewpoint. And most recently, he has published an e-book entitled Subverting Syria. Webster Tarpley, welcome once again to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Thank you very much, Richard. I, Subverting Syria is not really my uh, book. I'm not sure where you where you got that. But what I did publish last year was one called uh, Just Too Weird, Bishop Romney and the Mormon Takeover of America with Polygamy Theocracy and uh My apologies. And I, I think that it was linked to um, a, a website that featured your books. My apologies. Okay. But we are here to talk about Syria. Absolutely. And congratulations on your program and your your network. It's we're building it brick by brick. We're getting the 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 word out there across America, Webster. Great. So let's back up. First of all, before we talk about this chemical attack, August twenty first, let's talk about the Assad regime. What are your impressions? You've been to Syria. Yes. What are your impressions of Bashar al-Assad? Because I don't put him in the this. He's a typical Middle Eastern ruler. He's a strong man to be sure, but I don't put him in the same camp as a as a Gaddafi or one of these madmen. He seems to me to be a very rational, reasoned human being. Richard, I would I would be very cautious with this madman stuff because um, these these terms are thrown around by. Western leaders who are themselves uh, open to question in terms of their sanity and their morality and so forth, right? We don't need to go much further than Bush the Younger. I suppose we should go to Bush the Elder. I've written about about both of them. Uh, Gaddafi was somebody who built the largest uh, water irrigation and drinking water project in the world, the great man-made river. Uh, and I think one of the reasons for invading Libya was to get a hold of that water, which is a very um, valuable commodity in the Middle East. Um, what you have are these regimes that were modeled on Nasser of Egypt. They were military. They were authoritarian, to be sure, but they were anti-imperialist. They, were, they tried to have economic development, and they also tried to have this, this element of... Um, price subsidies, and putting a floor under the poorest people. So they had a strong element of economic populism. Now, Syria under Hafez Assad, the elder, had, um, I think, was a a much different proposition than what you had today. This was a a country that um, was very much a dictatorship. Um, The other problem you have, though, is you see that some of these countries have a, a tragic dilemma between dictatorship and absolute civil war and chaos and and i i think that's a that's a you know a question that that cannot be easily answered but it certainly shouldn't be dodged anyway as as of the death of hafez assad around 2000 you have his son uh, who i believe is is indeed a reformer uh, not in in the way that you know would satisfy a lot of people but certainly a, a reformer uh in the sense that uh, and actually, uh, he's a figure very difficult to demonize because he 
he's very personable. He's rather um, unassuming in some ways, but speaks a lot of English, right? Lived in London, was an eye doctor in London, has this rather presentable wife and so forth. But the, the main thing is that there's, a, there's a, an establishment there which refuses to follow the dictates of U.S. imperialism. And this was, uh, this was the main crime of Gaddafi. Right? You don't hear anything about the monsters of Saudi Arabia or the monsters of Qatar or the monsters of Bahrain, right? And those are absolute monarchs with you know no no semblance of elections or or anything else. But somehow they're spared, right? None of them is a madman. None of them is uh, a monster. But I think in reality those really are the monsters. So what we're left with then is by you know a couple of years ago. The, the, the conclusion of U.S. imperialism with the British and many other NATO forces thrown in was that the, the World Economic Depression, which began in 2008, meant that it was no longer possible to tolerate the existence of nation states. And the goal of, of the NATO and U.S. foreign policy since, since the Depression, but even earlier, and you can, you can show this, has been to break up the existing nation states. They talk about mini states, micro states, rump states, failed states, secessionism, warlords, you name it. And you can see Sudan carved into two parts, Yugoslavia broken up, and then Serbia carved, Soviet Union carved, desire to carve the Russian Federation, uh, Iraq de facto carved into three plans to carve Iran and Pakistan into four, five, whatever it is. The British are even willing to do it to themselves, right, with Scotland, in order to, to use that as a kind of a, of a show window for this kind of thing, right? So secessionist movements uh, everywhere. And the, the chosen vehicle for this, since you have all these young men who don't find jobs because of the Depression, it's easy to recruit them through fanatical uh, Salafist preachers and, and other you know kinds of uh, demagogues, you can recruit them to these these marauding bands. It's kind of like this you know the Thirty Years' War in Europe, right? When a, when an economic crisis means that you've got all these unemployed young young guys running around with with nothing to do. So what has happened is that the CIA, uh, acting on the models that were pioneered by John Negroponte in Central America in the 1980s then brought by Negroponte to Iraq in the, in the previous decade, maybe 10 years ago. His disciple, Robert Ford, was the one who made sure that that was delivered then in, into Syria. The death squads, in other words, you, you know, I wouldn't call them rebels, I wouldn't call them insurrectionists. They are terrorists. They are death squads. They are uh, people from Al-Qaeda, the Nusra Brigade, and so forth. Right? I, I refer to them as insurgents. Civilization. I refer to them as insurgents because... Uh, um, the difference here is, I think, many of them are coming from outside. These are not, you yes, know, necessarily foreign fighters. Yeah, let Absolutely. me let me uh, take a time out here, Webster. We'll come back and we'll talk about the possibility of war against Syria and the evidence, the mounting evidence, which seems to indicate it's these insurgents or rebels, if you wish, but these insurgents, these outside forces <laughs> fighting the Assad regime that are responsible for the chemical attack. Let's come back when we uh, continue our conversation with Webster Tarpley here on the Conspiracy Show. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order, a world where the rule of law, not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. When we are successful, and we will be, 
we have a real chance at this new world order, an order in which a credible United Nations can use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the promise and vision of the UN's founders. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now, 416-360-0740. Welcome back. Webster Tarpley is with us. The website, www.tarpley.net, T-A-R-P-L-E-Y dot net, and uh, a whole catalog of amazing books there uh, for you, of course, including uh, 9-11 Synthetic Terror, and which, as I said, is considered the Bible of the 9-11 Truth Movement, uh, the unauthorized George Bush, the unauthorized biography, now 20 years later, but still one of those cult classics uh, that, um, you know, every truth seeker should have on his library shelf. Right now we're talking about uh, Syria. And uh, let me uh, let me ask you about these uh, insurgents again. Who Who's funding them? Is it the Saudis, as, uh, as we've been told? Yes, they're funded by a, a group of, uh, of these reactionary uh, absolute monarchies, right? And these are the most benighted, you know, medieval things that exist anywhere in the world. And they foment, you know, mental states, uh, ideologies, right? Salafism or Al-Qaedaism or whatever it is uh, around the world. The, 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 the big fight was between Nasser and the Saudis, right, in the 60s and, and into the 70s, right? And Nasser with the progressive pan-Arab nationalism, Arab socialism, anti-imperialism. Secularism. Then, secularism, right? And then the Saudis, of course, with this monarchy, right? There was actual human slavery in Saudi Arabia, officially until 1963, and correspondents who have been to the Gulf tell me there's household slavery in these emirates and so forth today. So the Saudis pay... And then we have this this little principality, Qatar, right? Qatar, Qatar, which exerts an, an influence out of all proportion because it's had a, a kind of crazy uh, emir. I, I have to compare him. If you know anything about French history, Philippe Egalité, right? The the member of the French royal family who tried to join the revolution and ride that tiger and use it for his own purposes. Of course, he he ended on the guillotine. But in the case of Qatar, the the emir who was just sacked. Was was the most adventurous and crazy guy, and he was he was into you know overthrowing all these countries. So Saudis, Qatar, United Arab Emirates, Kuwait gets into the act. Um, sometimes Oman and and others. So what where did what do they do? There's there's a depression, right? So all these young men out of work. So they bring them in from Chechnya in southern Russia. They bring them in from uh, the Taliban, right? The Taliban of Afghanistan, but especially the Pakistani. Taliban are heavily represented. You can get people from Somalia who will work and kill people for very little money. You can get them from uh, certainly Libya, right? A lot of the, the, the basic force were death squads that were used to overthrow Gaddafi in 2011. And once Gaddafi had been assassinated, they brought them over. There was actually a uh, an airlift sea lift from the Benghazi, Derna, Tobruk area of Libya, and that's that's what Ambassador Stevens was doing there. Right, uh, Ambassador and, and, and in at a quotes. Point, the, the, pro, the Romney people said, "Look, he's in there. He's talking to them all the time. Let's surprise him. Let's uh, let's have him get uh, you know a nasty surprise, and we can use that as, as an October surprise against Obama." So it's it's a very you could say from you know from Indonesia to Morocco and from you know the southern edge of the Sahara certainly to far into Central Asia, right? They, they recruit 
people and they bring them in, right? And they train them in Jordan and they, they work with Israeli and U.S. and NATO uh, officers. So that it's, it's not, and it never was a peaceful rebellion. I, I was in, in Syria in November 2011 with a, a French um, expert, Thierry Maison, of the Réseau Voltaire of Paris. And we conducted seminars in two places, uh, one in the city of Homs, right, the so-called birthplace of the rebellion, and right. then in a place on the coast called Banyas. Banyas is the next port to the north of Tartus, the, the Russian uh, naval base. And in both of these places, it turned out that from the beginning, in other words, from the first demonstration, the absolute first demonstration, there were terrorist gunmen who were planted inside the crowds of peaceful protesters. Yeah, they thought they were, but didn't matter because there were provocateurs that had been seeded among their ranks who started shooting at the army. And it took quite a while for the army to shoot back. Indeed, Assad at the beginning had given an order, don't kill my people, I don't want the army killing people or shooting back. So they, in some cases, in this Banyas, there was a, a massacre of uh, 50 or 75 members, draftees, right, young, scared kids, right, logistical troops, no, no combat training or anything much. But Just in it for the paycheck. by these rebels because they were told you couldn't shoot back. Wow. Now, uh, in, in Holmes, I remember you reporting on this that the, the there were these snipers, and this was they were being, uh, you know, the Western media was portraying these snipers as being government forces. No, and, they weren't. As no. a matter of fact, yeah. I went into a, a neighborhood that it was is largely Alawite, not only Alawite, but they were Alawites, and uh, I talked to to people in a hospital there, and a, and a, a, a woman doctor said, you know, now I have to go home. And I'm, I'm afraid of getting hit by a sniper. They get up on the rooftops. And she also told the story of, of a, a friend of hers who had had her, her child killed by a sniper shooting through the back of the car. And their only demand was, give us the Syrian army, give us tanks, give us helicopters that will kill these cowardly, uh, bearded lunatics that go up on the roof and, and, and kill us. So this is artificial. That's the thing that people have to understand. This is absolutely not a spontaneous grassroots uh, event. Now, of course, there were people who were agitating for, um, for you know, more democracy. There were, you know, some very well-off people in the middle class that I met who wanted more democracy. There were also people like Marxists. I met a, a Marxist poet who said, you know, Assad is a softy. We should really deal with these people, uh, and so forth. But anyway, look, I, I think. The, the thing that people have to understand is this, right? What are the strategic stakes? And then we can maybe look at these questions of proof. What Obama is asking for, if we read the um, resolution that he has sent to Congress, this is a blank check that goes all the way to World War III. This is not tailored, not limited. This is anything but, uh, you know, a, a, a low-level, uh, you know, carefully calibrated uh, event. The goal of all this is what? It is regi- regime change in Syria. Absolutely. They're going to use cruise missiles to destroy, you know, Assad's dwellings, you know, the, the defense ministry, all these buildings that, are, that I've been in in, uh, in Damascus. Damascus, of course, the oldest continuously inhabited city in the world. How about that? Yes. The oldest city in the world and the, uh, the cradle of the oldest 
alphabet, right? Not not pictograph, not you know characters in the Chinese way, but an actual alphabet. That's uh, the Syrian. So it's going to be regime change through that. Remember, once you give them the resolution, that's it. They do what they want, right? That's what we learned in Libya. That's what Putin, to his great credit, Russia has learned. Don't authorize military action because any limitations that are supposedly placed on the military action, they will not stand up. So the goal is regime change in Syria, then or in that process, destroy Hezbollah, the force that restrains the Israelis from going wild in Lebanon and other places, and then quickly on to Iran. So this is already a major regional war, Syria, Hezbollah, Iran. And of course, look at Iran three times bigger than uh, Iraq in terms of population, probably four times in terms of area. Uh, this will not be easy. Boots on the ground will be, will be required. I'm always, I'm always interested to hear people like Obama say, well, we've planned this. It's going to be very limited. As von Clausewitz, right, the great German theoretician, writes, once you start with this, there's an animate object that responds to your attacks and this can mean escalation. This can mean things that get very, very painful for you. Well, this could very easily pull the Russians into this. Obviously, yes, Syria that's, is... And that, that's exactly what I'd like to point to. That is the, the insanity of this resolution. Uh, we read, authorization for use of United States armed forces, and uh, the president is authorized to use the armed forces of the United States as he wants to, anything he wants, Connection in connection with the use of chemical weapons or other weapons of mass destruction in the Syrian conflict in order to prevent, deter the use or proliferation of such weapons or the transfer of weapons within, to, or from Syria. Chemical, biological, or any other WMD. Now, what does that mean? If there's a Russian plane that's coming to Damascus, they can attack that plane. They can say, you've got precursor chemicals in there for sarin gas, or you've got a component for a, you know, a missile that can deliver it. A Chinese plane coming in there, Chinese ships, Russian ships. This is a blank check for World War III. That is why this thing has got to be absolutely defeated, because Russia, China, I mean, Iran, Syria, Hezbollah, Iran is already more than enough. But then when you get to Russia and China, and insane as it sounds, this is how these lunatics think. And I have to point to this guy, Kerry. The Skull and Bones Society of Yale, right? yes. this death cult. The man who, 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 lay, who rolled over in the 2004 election after uh, you know, the fix was in in Ohio and said nothing. Yeah, I don't know. He, you know, he, I'm, I, he, might, he might think that he's on his way to another run for presidency. Let, let, let's see what it is. But if we look at them, the, the presence of Skull and Bones is all the colossal tragedies of the United States and the world of the past you know, 75, 80 years. I, my research shows that Pearl Harbor, the, the debacle, was set up by uh, Colonel Stimson of Skull and Bones with the help of Robert Lovett. Stimson was the war secretary. Uh, yeah, Stimson. And then he had his imps of Satan, who were McCloy and Lovett. So Stimson and Lovett were both from, from Skull and Bones. They are the ones who withheld the intelligence and, and, and wrecked the, uh, the defenses. Then we go on to Vietnam. Vietnam is the handiwork of Averill Harriman of Skull and Bones, 
and the Bundy brothers, McGeorge Bundy and William Bundy, Skull and Bones. All these Yale alumnists, right. Yeah, but all Skull and Bones, not even Yale. Right, Skull right. and Bones. And then uh, we get on to, of course, Bush the Elder, who brings you the first Gulf War, Skull and Bones, and then our dear friend George W. Bush, Skull and Bones, who brings you the Afghan War and the Iraq War. And when... Kerry, I thought I was the only person in the world who noticed this. I wrote something, you can see it at tarpley.net for Press TV of Iran. This is a very, very dangerous person. And sure enough, this guy that you see, this, this uh, hypocritical, the sallow face of hypocrisy that we see, the haughty Kerry, right? Supposedly the richest man in the Congress because of his wealthy wife, right? The Heinz uh, ketchup. Hines, the Heinz ketchup fortunes, comes, yes. She, she married that money, but her, her origin is Salazar fascism. And the, the Portuguese colonial world in, I believe, Mozambique. But Salazar fascism. Take a look at that. It's one of the nastier variants. Anyway, um, the entire Syrian crisis goes back to June 5th, when the rebels were defeated in the city of Qusair, Right, the, the city was liberated by Syrian army, Hezbollah, and some Iranian advisors. On June 12th, right, very, you know, less than a week later, or a week later, Kerry attempted to start the bombing. He was sitting in, an, in a um, principals committee meeting, right, of all the, you know, the, the secretaries of defense and, and uh, CIA and Susan Rice and all these people. And he attempted, he said, look, we've got to start bombing Syria right now, right now, because our... Our friends, the death squads, are, you know, reeling. They're being routed. We've got to get in there and save them because otherwise, you know, we won't have a secret army left in the Middle East. Now, he was stopped by General Dempsey of the Joint Chiefs of Staff who said, no, you don't have a plan. You don't know anything. And that is, I think, that was the, the convergence of Obama at that time and, and, the, and the Pentagon. But he, he tried a coup d'etat. In other words, he tried to do what, Henry Kissinger did in, in 1973, which was, you know, take the U.S. to an all-out thermonuclear alert in the, in the uh, you know, Yom Kippur War in the Middle East. Right? That's, that was Kissinger. Or we've had other things, right? Um, Al Gore started bombing Serbia in 1999 solo. He didn't ask Clinton. They didn't ask Nixon, did he want to go to Red Alert? They just, they just did it. And that's what Kerry was trying to do. So this is extremely dangerous uh, character in that way. So they're determined to make this into a war, and by now Kerry realizes that his job is at stake. I mean, this is just a sidelight, but it, it shows also a way that he can deal with it politically. What can we say of a Secretary of State who can't get the British to come along? He can't get Canada to come along. He can't get anybody to come along. Do you know how many people there are in the U.S. coalition right now? One. Zero. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, France. U.S. What about France? Uh, the French, this is very much up in the air. In other words, I'm talking about people who have made an ironclad, reliable commitment that they're coming. right? And they're coming with troops. They're, in other words, they're going to have troops in harm's way. They're going to have some firepower, right? Not not declarations of support, because you get those from, from Saudi Arabia. But... Um, People who are committed to it, right? There's good, there's, you know, there are lots of polls that the French say no. The French National Assembly has to vote. There might be ways to stop Hollande, right? He, he might, um, you know, he might back down. That'll, we'll see that on 
probably on Wednesday of this week. Listen, let's let's take a time out, Webster. When we come back, let's talk about uh, the evidence, which seems to sure. indicate perhaps it's not the Syrian insurgents, uh, or perhaps it's not the Syrian uh, regime of, of uh, Bashar no, al-Assad that has the chemical weapons. It's Putin the insurgents. Says. All right, we'll take a time out. And back with Webster Tarpley here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweighed the dangers which are cited to justify it. Even today, there is little value in opposing the threat of a closed society by imitating its arbitrary restrictions. Even today, there is little value in ensuring the survival of our nation if our traditions do not survive with it. And there is very grave danger that an announced need for increased security will be seized upon by those anxious to expand its meaning to the very limits of official censorship and concealment. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And Webster Tarpley stays with us. His website, www.tarpley, T-A-R-P-L-E-Y, dot net. And we're talking about uh, Syria. And uh, once again... It seems that the United States is gearing up for another war in the Middle East. And uh, Webster, many people may not remember, but back in May of this year, uh, the UN uh, did their own investigation uh, over in Syria. And there was uh, a UN investigation report that concluded it was the Syrian rebels that were in possession of chemical uh, chemical, weapons. Weapons, and that they were the ones using them on the citizens, not the Assad regime. Why don't people? Why isn't the Western media talking about that UN report? <laughs> well, to ask such a question is to answer it. But here we are in the Western media, so let's uh, let's talk about it. What you're referring to is Carla Del Ponte, who is a uh, well-known uh, UN bureaucrat, right? She's an official. And uh, said this, right? That their finding was that the the likelihood that they saw was that the the um, the, the rebels, right, the death squads, as I call them, were the ones using the the chemical weapons. Now, there's actually um, there are a number of things on this that are that are relevant. The State Department position, inspired by Skull and Bones Kerry, uh, who should have been fired already earlier this week, but the Kerry line is. These rebels don't have the capability, and they're unable to launch chemical weapons, which is ridiculous. If you get uh, chemical weapons that have been weaponized, they show up as an artillery round. They show up as something that can be fired out of a gun. You don't have to mix anything. It's prepackaged, right? It, it's, a, it's a battlefield weapon. It can't, you can't bring test tubes and, and alembics out on the, on the battlefield, right? You've got to... Uh, have it in a in a form that can be loaded into some gun or ro- a rocket launcher and then shot off. However, let's go back. Uh, here we have uh, articles uh, from Reuters and other sources that tell us that at the end of uh, May of this year, 
we had, and I guess the Reuters one is the most uh, authoritative, um, Reuters reported on May 30th from Ankara, Turkish authorities have arrested 12 people and uh, an amount of sarin nerve gas had been found, two kilograms, so you know, almost five pounds of nerve gas, sarin, had been found. And these were Syrian rebels linked to the Nusra front, the Al-Qaeda terrorist gang, right, or part of one Al-Qaeda terrorist gang operating there. And uh, they, they were in Turkey, and the Turkish authorities seized almost five pounds of sarin from them. Now, you should also know, remember all that, that brouhaha about the park in, um, in Turkey this past summer? Yes, yes. The, the, the starting point of that was that all over southern Turkey, there had been months of demonstrations that were just ignored by these Western prostitutes, right? The, the winners, the many winners of the Goebbels Prize at ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, and I'm sure others. The Goebbels Prize winners were not interested in the fact that all over southern Turkey, there had been demonstrations saying, get these terrorists out of here. We're sick of them. They steal. They threaten us. They, you know, they're dirty. They destroy the tourist trade. And God knows what. From the city of Incirlik and um, from the port of Iskanderun, I believe, uh, these people were, were making a nuisance of themselves. So there's another interesting event. Now, um, concerning this specific one, we have even more uh, interesting things. Um, this is a an article that comes from something called the Mint Press, which is a website. And the article was up and then it was it disappeared for a while. I guess it was hacked. Uh, oh, is this the, da- the the Dale, Dale Gavlak? Gavlak? Okay, let's take a time out. We'll come back okay. because I, I believe that he's a Middle East correspondent for the Associated Press well, as well. I think well. he's a stringer, huh? Ah, okay. A stringer, a part-time, that's the impression I get, or All right, a we'll, former we'll, AP. We'll talk about this. This is an important article uh, because uh, he, in this interview, the Syrian rebels appear to take responsibility for the chemical attack in Gotha. But we'll uh, we'll discuss on the other side, Webster, Tarp- Webster Tarpley here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Webster Tarpley stays with us for a few moments yet as we discuss uh, Syria and the prospects for war over there. We were talking about this um, Associated Press stringer in the Middle East, Dale Gavlak, and he interviewed a number of doctors and residents in Gouda and rebel fighters, in fact, and their families. And what did he find? Well, the the story is that that there are many different um, groups, right, among the Syrian rebels. They're you know, there are hundreds, maybe a thousand. And remember, they have killed each other on a number of occasions. There was one, one of the um, the officials of the Free Syrian Army, a guy called, I think his name was Hamami, who was assassinated by the emir of the coastal region of the uh, Islamic Emirate of Iraq and Syria, Sham. 
as they say. So these these emirates, these are warlords, and emirates are like little these little entities, right? The the goal is you're going to have the NATO and the empire and the IMF over the world, no nation states, and only these little emirs in the Middle East. So anyway, they they kill each other. They 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 fight among themselves. So the idea that one of them would not gas some other one is 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 wrong. But the uh, the Nusra and some others get paid directly from Saudi Arabia. And what they seem to have in this area called Ghouta, or Ghouta, right, where this famous incident now is supposed to have occurred, was the, the people there report that uh, a militant, a Saudi a terrorist controller, I would say, he's a, you know, he's a, a local terrorist uh, official, but he's a Saudi, and he's obviously bringing money and other supplies. He brings uh, tube-like structures and huge gas bottles, right? They, they have this, some people see, you know, propane or some gas that you use for home purposes. Anyway, containers of that size, right? Tube-like structures and huge glass bottles. So uh, kids, rebels, uh, you know, young fighters. One of the one of the people in the village says, "My son and twelve other rebels were given these tube-like structures and the huge glass bottles by this Saudi militant, and they put them in a tunnel, and um, my son and the others never came out. Right, twelve twelve of them uh, dead. Now, what what could it be? The story seems to say, well, they mishandled it, right? But maybe maybe these things were." Where you know time to have things go off, right? So it's perfectly possible that the pattern, to the extent that there is one, is that the Saudi intelligence had delivered these charges, right? These containers loaded with uh, with nerve gas into the area, and then either by by accident, which I don't think, but or by coordinated, you know, timer and you know detonator, had these things. Uh, go off, and the 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 idea in the area is that the prince, the the head of Saudi intelligence is of course the infamous Saudi, um, the Prince Bandar, right? Bandar bin Sultan, right? Well, Otherwise, Bandar Bush, Bandar Bush, yes, <laughs> right? The character he was here, but watch out for him because this guy has no loyalties to anybody in the world. He will stab anybody in the back. There's a story circulating that he went to to Putin, and he said Putin. You've got to dump the Syrians and betray them. Uh, otherwise, I'll make sure that my Chechen terrorists attack the Sochi Olympics. But if you play along with me, I'll, I'll make sure that there's no terrorism at your your Olympic Games. And that was published very, in the U- that was published guys. in the Daily Telegraph. That story, right? So you, you get the idea, right? So so there's there's a a, a perfectly um, credible account. By somebody who's not crazy, right? He's not uh, somebody who hears voices or believes in Martians or anything, but he's an AP stringer, and he's there uh, and, and says this is this is what happened. So uh, the, the um, there are any number of other things, but that, uh, we have now Kerry. Kerry says, "Oh, I have tissue samples, right? I have blood, urine. I have these things, hair. The problem with that is, what's the chain of custody?" And and where did these tissue samples come from? Right, Kerry says this morning on his five Sunday blab shows. Right, we 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 um, we've got this proof. Yeah, that that's from the 
Nusra Brigade and Al Qaeda forensics laboratory, right? That's that's essentially from the terrorists. So they they probably have a way to doctor that with the help of Saudi Arabia. And well, of course, he has proof that there was a chemical attack. We all know there was a chemical a chemical attack. The question is who's responsible? Was, yeah. Who's responsible? That's right, the only question. Uh, that's the question. All right. So look, I would urge people to mobilize on this. In other words, I would not be fatalistic at all. Uh, I think this, the fact that, that no attack has occurred so far is a real victory because it, it was going to occur probably around now, that is in the 24 hours now ending, or it might occur later this week when there's no moon, right? That's when they like to strike, right? When the cruise missiles cannot be seen even by ground observers, right? So they, there's no warning. So here, here's what it is. If you're in the United States, this is one of those rare occasions where it makes sense to send a letter, send an email, call the congressman and say, no war, not under any circumstances. And we don't care what the provisos are or the so-called limitations, because once the military action starts, they're going to do whatever the hell they want. They're not going to be bound by, by anything. Now, I suppose you're in Canada. What can you do? I would say... Get on the world social media, right? Get on the, the, the great um, you know, sounding board of world public opinion, I would say is Twitter, and get on there. I, I was able to register for Twitter in about five minutes. If I can do that, anybody can. And what we just need is the gross volume of tweets, right? If you get on there, suppose you don't know, you know, you can get on there anonymously, right? You don't have to reveal who you are, right? You don't have to worry about your job, get on Twitter, and then start putting stuff out. If you don't know what to put out, I recommend go to Webster G. Tarpley Twitter feed and start retweeting the ones of mine that you agree with. Right? And if you follow those, you will also see, you know, if you go to sites that say like Syria or Assad or, you know, Obama, you'll find meritorious tweets that you can retweet and I think before too long you'll be doing your own, right? And and, and I hope and I'm I'm waiting I can't wait for people to surpass me in quantity and quality. But, right. Uh, Find out who your MP is. Go and read my tweets of the last week. You'll know just about everything. Right. Find out who your MP is and direct it towards them, uh, their office. Well, Canada has already said no, and no. I would like to thank uh, Canada right, for that. As far as I could see, Harper had said no several days ago. Uh, he has said no, uh, and then we had John Baird, who is, uh, I believe, the Minister for External Affairs, uh, you know, saying that, you know, we action, we we must take action. So uh, my my fear is that it is being sort of bandied about in, in uh, the Prime Minister's office. Still, who knows? I mean, if the United States goes forward, the United States or Canada may, you know, at some point jump in a lockstep, as they often do. Uh, but that you know, let's not wait for that to happen. Well, in, in that case, of course, then you want to call, you want to get the MPs informed that the public, the Canadian public, says absolutely not under no circumstances, and there are no safeguards. So don't tell us about those. Will um, Obama? I mean, the, the the president has said he doesn't need. Obviously, he does need congressional approval according to the Constitution. In fact, he said it, when he was a senator, he would have he would impeach President Bush uh, if he didn't go to Congress. Right. Uh, this, for, let me just point. This this is an interesting thing. The Republicans have learned the lesson of the last impeachment. The Republicans impeached Clinton before he attacked Serbia with the three months of bombing. They've learned something. The Republicans probably kicked themselves. They said, if we'd only waited until after the three months of bombing, like six months later, 
We could have impeached Clinton way back in the middle of 2009. So with Obama, the Republicans are in many ways madmen. I have nothing in common with them. They wish to impeach Obama by any means they can get. They think that they can do this. If he goes to this war, he will poison and destroy his own relation with his remaining supporters, right, who have already been shaken by the great NSA revelations, right, which are, which are uh, obviously very serious violations of law. So they think that they can, they can get him later. The reason that Obama is going to Congress is that he wants insurance against impeachment. He takes it quite seriously. He can read the writing on the wall. Just before he made this decision, right, Senator Coburn, a supposedly respectable uh, Republican senator from Oklahoma, started talking about impeachment, and we've had, we've had a number of other Republicans in the House. Well, and before. if you go back, if you go back, Biden, Clint, Hillary Clinton, and Obama all stated that they would have impeached George Bush if he didn't go to Congress to sure. wage war. So, so, they, so he, they, he, Obama takes this, this seriously because the Republicans hate Obama more, than, I would say, than they ever hated uh, Clinton, and there were some very ugly motives in there, right? So that, I, I am not uh, going to be a part of that. But the, the, thing, the thing that I think is feasible to do in the, in, the, in the very short term is to stop this. In other words, if you looked last week, we have Skull and Bones carry on Monday with an insane foaming war tirade. Skull and Bones carry on Friday with another foaming war tirade. And in the middle, Obama makes these rather meek statements. Now, some of this is camouflage, of course, but there, it, the, the way is clear for Obama to say, Kerry, you're an incompetent, you're an absolute bungler, you can't get the UN, you can't get Ban Ki-moon, you can't get the Arab League, you can't get anybody. So you're fired. Right? That's, the, the Secretary of State is supposed to deliver the coalition. That's what James Baker did. That's what Colin Powell did. Who, who is this guy? Right? He can't manage anything. The other person, of course, is the viper, Susan Rice. And I, I regard her abrasive, uh, loathsome personality as a, as a positive force for peace because <laughs> anybody who has to deal with her begins to hate her and wants to deprive her of the things she wants. And the, the story we have here in Washington is on Thursday evening as the British vote, and you know this is the, the finest hour of the British, absolutely, that they voted against this. Uh, Obama began to go wobbly. Kerry tried to firm him up on Friday afternoon with this, with this lunatic tirade. Putin, of course, spoke for the first time on Friday morning with a very serious warning that's backed up by things that we don't know yet, but there are things. When Putin says something like that, there are uh, threats, I think, in the background or, or you know, things that Russia might do. But then you could see that, that Obama came back from a 45-minute walk with Dennis McDonough, his... Um, the chief of staff in the White House. It looks like Dennis McDonough has iced out Susan Rice. So McDonough is more concerned about Obama's personal political fortunes. Rice is concerned about her record as a, you know, the new Ribbentrop, right, setting up uh, aggression all over the world. That's her, her bag. So it looks like Rice has been pushed aside, uh, and McDonough's more influential, and that's when they said, we're going to go to Congress. In other words, we're going to stall and maybe hope for something to get out of this. The, the other thing, of course, is that the, the media here are at least grudgingly realizing that Obama has cut Kerry off at the knees, that he's 
hung him out to dry. And as we speak tonight, Kerry is hung out to dry, twisting slowly in the wind, as we say here. All right, we're out of time, uh, Webster. <laughs> so let's, uh, yeah, let's hope there's a resounding no from Congress, and uh, Obama heeds that. We'll... Right, but it's the, the the motto is always get active or get radioactive, and this is more applicable now than ever. All right, Webster, thank you so much. Tarpley.net, the website. Thank you. All right. And my website, richardserrett.com. Say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth.